Now, the question of what you eat hardly seems like a red-hot theological question. But for the first century church, it was a problem that threatened to absolutely tear them apart. And the problem was born of their own success. The first Jewish Christians had dared to reach out to Gentiles, and their evangelism found ready soil. And now the church was a mix of traditions. And the problem of what to eat was far more serious than taking a group of kosher Jews to the pork growers' banquet. The non-Jews were bringing casseroles to the church potluck with meat that they had purchased at Aphrodite's discount meat market. The animals had been sacrificed as, had slaughtered as part of sacrifices in the pagan temples, and the meat then sold on the market out in the back of the temple. And for some, that really wasn't any kind of problem. The old strictures had died as they came into the Christian church, and, you know, we're not bound by that old stuff anymore. It was the breath of fresh air that many of us found when we escaped the watchful eye of a grandmother who made sure we did nothing fun on the Sabbath. Well, their faith wasn't just bound up in old rules. They were glad to be free, and they had absolutely no intention of ever going back to the old ways. But not everyone was able to put that aside so easily. And it wasn't just Jews. The Gentiles had problems, too. How could they escape the power of the old God if they continued to eat the very sacrifices that had been hallowed to that God? It was as if they'd gone back into the temple itself and shared in the worship. And for them, their soul's salvation was really at risk. And having their new brothers and sisters in Christ laugh at their scruples just really didn't help. So into that fray wades Paul. And good diplomat that he is, he acknowledges the truth on both sides. Yes, there is freedom. Yes, that old tug is still there. Because no one knows better than Paul both the strength and the weakness of the old rules. I mean, he certainly wasn't about to not good ethical living. And he also knew that rules can turn kindly folk into self-righteous snobs. And he was enough of a pastor to know just how really vulnerable some folk can be. My introduction to this issue came as a child. We used to do family devotions around the dinner table. I think we used the upper room, still around. It, it consists of a bit of scripture and some comment on it for today's living. And tied to this text was, this particular text, was a story of a man at a cocktail table. And as the hostess takes his drink order, he sees a friend, and he knows that that friend is struggling with alcoholism. And so looking at his friend, instead of his usual drink, he says, well, I'll take tomato juice, thereby saving his friend from a life of addiction. Now, I'm tempted to laugh about the simplicity of that story, but there's just a little bit too much truth in it. There are things that, as individuals, we can do with complete impunity. They don't hurt us at all. But they may be the very demon with which someone else is wrestling. And our action, even a small one, may be just enough to tip the balance. Well, that's where Paul begins. You see, being a Christian is not something we do by ourselves. I don't care what people say. I can be spiritual. Well, no, if you're going to be a Christian, it's communal. Christian faith is communal. Even Jesus didn't do it alone, but with 12 men and a group of loyal women. 
because we live out our Christian freedom within the community of faith. We're always struggling with the balance between individual freedom and our responsibility to others. Robert Burns, Scottish poet, whose own life did not always bear close scrutiny, once commented on an early acquaintance, his friendship did me a mischief. Jesus says, if any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. Jesus does not take lightly the things that we do that lead others astray. And so out of love for one another, we are often called to give up our freedom. We're called to be accountable to each other for the things we do and the impact they have on the people around us. Now there's a catch in that. And you don't have to know very much about human nature to know that that opens the door for rule by the weakest and the most manipulative. You know, oh, you can't do that to me. Because for all that Jesus accepts us as we are, he always wants something more, something better. He's always poking and prodding and challenging and daring us to grow. You can't use that as manipulation. And you know, for some folk, that kind of growing is easy. For others, the tiniest little movement is monumental. Doesn't matter, we're expected to grow. And we have a right to ask others to limit their freedom because it's damaging to us. But we also have the responsibility to grow and not use that as a weapon. When Paul warns against passing judgment on each other, that's a sword that cuts both ways. And if we are the ones whose freedom is limited, then we do that willingly and gladly, not, well, look what I gave up for you. You know, even more, we need to look for those places. We need to look for those places where our actions are damaging folk who haven't asked or maybe aren't even aware of the problems we're causing. Now, the classic areas where those standards were applied are smoking and drinking and sex. And given what we know about the effects of secondhand smoke or about the systematic nature of addiction, those old areas are things we still need to keep talking about. And it's not just about how it affects me. It's very much about how it affects the folk around me. And the whole field of sexuality, straight or gay, is filled with too much, thou shalt not, I can too. And what of our struggle within our society, particularly our American society, with guns? Can't I limit my own freedom to carry firearms in order to lower the violence in my community? You know, we need to look at such issues from the perspective of communal responsibility. And of course, there are always questions of TV violence, gambling, casinos, pornography, a whole host of places where lives intersect and vulnerable people are at risk. Do I have answers to those questions? Well, no, not easy ones. But I am beginning to suspect that in many ways our society has lost the balance between individual freedom and community responsibility. We're very careful to protect individual freedom. But what about the rights of the community? We used to live in the city of Wilmington, and because of the way the streetlights were 
place, there was a very dark spot right on our corner and people's tires got boosted a number of times. So we put up a motion sensor floodlight on our house. And one day this guy knocks on the door and he says, you are intruding on my personal space with that light. And I'm thinking, mister, it's a public sidewalk. <laughs> you know, we have to think in terms of how we manage within the community. And can't the church begin to model some alternatives and do it in ways that are not judgmental and self-righteous, not self-abasing or self-abusing, but can't we begin to help others see the damage that their own freedom can cause? Later in one of his other letters, Paul will say, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. You know, that's our model. Jesus Christ, who gave himself up, who limited his own freedom in ways we will never guess, in order to bring us together into the community which is the church, to help us to grow into his likeness and to be imitators of God. That's our high calling. Amen.